my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for, of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I've read up to verse 13. Oh, Heavenly Father and Lord God, what wonderful words to read on a Sunday morning as we gather together remembering the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What wonderful words of the gospel that have been ringing out since it was excitedly announced from disciple to disciple, he is risen, he is risen. There is nothing that we need be ashamed of now because our Lord and Savior has conquered death in the grave. He has made up for every lack. He has brought captivity captive and given gifts unto men and women today. Heavenly Father, we glorify thee, we thank thee, we praise thee, we lift up thy high and holy name for the great and wonderful work that thou hast done through thy Son, Jesus Christ. For there is indeed no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. Heavenly Father, we ask now that thou wouldst be with us, that thy good and holy spirit would be among us this morning, impressing on each heart, whether saved or not, the blessedness, the wonder, the beauty of the gospel, the good news that is offered to all today. Heavenly Father, we ask that thy spirit would be present also with those that were unable to gather with us. We're thankful that through technology we have the ability also to add to our number this morning those who, who could not be in this, in this physical building. Bless them as well, Heavenly Father. And be with the brother who will expound from thy word uh, under the influence of thy spirit. And Heavenly Father, we ask that thou wouldst grant unto him words of truth, soberness, and, and uh, prescience, that the, the things that are spoken would be timely for each one. We live in such uncertain times, in, in times of, of, of fear and extreme emotion. 
Heavenly Father, show us now from thy word how thou hast an answer for all of man's problems, if we will but turn to thee. Be with those that are proclaiming thy word in perhaps very difficult circumstances, unlike this country, places where it even means to hazard, one li hazard one's life to share the gospel with their neighbor. Heavenly Father, be with all thy children throughout this world as they would spread thy word and the gospel of the kingdom until thou wilt return. Be with those that are sick. Heavenly Father, we're mindful of a number in our own circles that have uh, chronic conditions or, or even terminal conditions according to the diagnosis from the doctors. Heavenly Father, let the glory of, of Christ shine through each cracked vessel that is going through pain and, and difficulty. Let thy light shine forth from every situation, whether through a miracle of healing or whether through grace and strength to bear what is placed upon them. But Heavenly Father, we want to stop and remember them now specifically that thou wouldst be with them and provide for their needs. Provide, Heavenly Father, for the pain that they are experiencing. Provide for their loved ones that are caring for them and are, are uh, worried for their conditions. Heavenly Father, let thy name be glorified in all of this. Now, Heavenly Father, as we return our thoughts to the word again, we ask for thy presence to be with us now. Grant us clearness of mind, sharpness of, of understanding and, and, and vision to see the blessedness that is available through the one who died in our place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've had a number of messages the past uh, several weeks on from the book of Romans. And uh, it's been remarked, and it's, it is very true that in the New Testament, uh, in the Bible as a whole, the book of Romans is the most complete expounding of God's plan of salvation, most uh, systematic and, and thorough in terms of the treatment. And um, it seems like Romans 10 after all that, and you know, some may struggle with different aspects of understanding all the, the meaning and, and, and how things all fit together. To my mind, Romans 10 comes after all that to, as it were, to simplify things again. And, and to underscore the simplicity of salvation and the gospel message. Just how simple, how universal it is in terms of its application, its invitation to everyone. And that's where my heart uh, leads this morning, I think, I trust through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, that we can just think about that, the simplicity of salvation, what God is requiring of us in, in response to salvation. The way the, the, our brother Paul opens this chapter, it's an echo of, of the previous chapter, Romans 9, the first three verses where he was saying, you know, he has a great heaviness, a continual sorrow in his heart. He could wish himself accursed from Christ for his brethren, his kinsmen according to the flesh, Israelites. He says the same thing. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And as I was reading this, I was just thinking, maybe the analogy is poor, but I have the same burden and the same um, uh, care on my heart, as I'm sure, uh, 
other members in this church do for the unconverted in our midst? Those that are sitting in these benches that attend uh, Sunday after Sunday. And maybe for the same reason that Paul had a burden for Israel, it was the same for me. I grew up in these benches, not these ones, the ones down the road in our old building. But I think I had a lot of the same experience. And I think maybe I understand some of that burden, or I, I have a burden because of that, I think. And I think that's maybe what Paul had, the, the burden that he had for Israel. Because he knew, he came from that. He was, he was zealous. He persecuted the church. And here he's, think about it now, he's writing this, and, and there are people that are actively pursuing him, his kinsmen, his, his brethren, according to the flesh, that are hating him and his message, trying to oppose it. But he's still so gracious, and he says that, you know, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And maybe that's uh, not the case for the unconverted in our midst this morning. Maybe there, there is a certain amount of knowledge. You think you understand the way of salvation and how God's laid it out. Maybe you don't have that, that misplaced zeal that these Israelites did, but the conclusion in verse 3 is the same. The analogy comes back here that really the root cause, the root problem of this, of, of you lingering and, and, and fruit not being produced is because you are not submitting yourselves unto the righteousness of God. That's really what this comes down to. This simple gospel message that you have to just accept through faith and see the change that God does in your life, the steps that he takes you through, the, the different plateaus he brings you to, that is not happening because you are not willing to submit to God's plan for righteousness for you. That's the Israelites' problem. They were going about to establish their own righteousness through the law that they'd received, and as a result, they missed. They missed the plan of salvation. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. You know, we may not be struggling with the Mosaic law today. We clearly know we're Gentiles. We don't struggle with should we be circumcised or, or, or fulfill certain parts of the Mosaic law um, to be saved. That's not our issue today. But we are still grappling with the law. And it's, as Brother Doug mentioned in previous uh, sermons, the different terms that, that are meant by that, God's moral standard, we're still, in many ways, looking to the law to establish our righteousness. We are looking to our performance, and whether it is a, uh, the despair over our inability to, as it seems, our inability to do the things that God demands, and that's, we seem to be, that's what's keeping us back from salvation. I can't, I just can't do the things. I, you know, I try and try and fail again. Or whether it's our pride in our ability to be good people that's keeping us back from salvation. Both of those things are looking to the law. They're looking to performance. They're looking to me and what I can do and the standard that I can attain. And that somehow is going to, to uh, make me acceptable in God's sight. And both of those things, that despair over your inability or the pride in your ability, do not accord themselves with the righteousness of God, what he has established through Christ Jesus. Apostle Paul is clear in his writings that the law is not 
as it were, thrown in the trash bin. You know, forget it now. Uh, either in the sense of, of well, we, you can just sin now because grace covers everything. That's all good. Or in the sense of, of, of uh, the law that all that, that went before, that it was, it was uh, uh, some kind of um, mistake. No, God had a plan for that law that he gave to Moses, and his moral standard has not changed. And in the New Testament, Christ makes that clear, the, the, the standard that he calls us to in the Sermon on the Mount. But the answer is Christ. The answer to that, to living to that moral standard, is Christ. It's, it's believing in him and trusting in him, confessing him, that allows us to live in a way that pleases God, that gives us the power to live. And that, even in, in today's day and age, for the past, I don't know how many hundreds of years, people have tried to explain that away and excuse sin in a Christian's life. And, and really, there is no excuse. Christ does give us the power when we believe in him, when we trust in him. And I have to remind myself of that, that I don't despair over my inability. I look to Christ for my ability to fulfill all of what God asked me to do. And then I'm no longer living by the law. I'm not living according to what I can do, and every time that I fail, and I still do fail many times, I still look to Christ. I look to him for forgiveness, and I look for him to mot for motivation, for, uh, for that desire, for that cleansing, to help me then to walk in a way that does actually fulfill the righteousness that God requires, that, ha that God has always required, but in a way that isn't relying on, oh, me just trying hard enough and being good enough. And in a way that is, is rooted and springs from faith, a life of faith. See, Paul really makes this contrast here. He, he wants to make it very clear. In verse 5, For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. And what that, if you look at the context of that, and, and there's it's not really a whole lot of context, but I think it's, it's found here in Leviticus 18.5. He's, he's just saying you shouldn't follow the law that, or follow the, the practices of the Egyptians that you left. You shouldn't follow the practices of the Canaanites to which you're going, but you should follow what the, the word that I'm giving you. Let me just read it here in context. He says, after the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein you dwelt, you shouldn't do that. After the doings in the land of Canaan, whether I'm bringing you, you should not do that. Neither shall you walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. And the way I understand this is that he's saying, this is your whole life. Your whole life needs to be completely following what I'm commanding you. It's not that you can pick and choose from the nations around you. I'll take some of this, some of, some of God's laws. No, your whole life has to be. And when you are not fulfilling whatever is in the law, you are not walking according to the law. And really, that's the ultimate claim. The, if you want to attain righteousness through the law, you've got to do it all. You've got to do it completely. And any time you make a mistake, you're falling short of that righteousness. You're not attaining that righteousness. That's the kind of righteousness that's in the law. Who really wants that? Peter didn't. He said, it was a burden to us. We couldn't, we couldn't fulfill it. 
Um, why would we want to place this burden on the Gentiles? You, my friend outside of Christ, why do you want to do that also? Want to try to live in a way that, that relies on you and, and, and your ability to do right looks to you and, and, and every time that you do something subtly, uh, maybe even unconsciously, you pat yourself on the back as I, I'm, I'm all right, I'm okay, I'm, I'm doing good. Anything that it looks and departs and swerves aside from the righteousness that is in Christ. That's the same thing echoed in, in Galatians 3.10 where he quotes, he says, you know, cursed is he that doesn't do all the things in the law, whosoever continueth not in them. There is a burden. It, it has to be, it's all up to you, basically. That is the message of the law. That, in the sense of there was no power in it. It was a list of commandments. The purpose was to show us how broken, how much we need God's grace, that forgiveness that is in him. And we could never attain that through the law. So let's not be tempted to go back to that for justification. And it's subtle. I, I know it is subtle for myself too. Whereas I, I, as a Christian, I can get into a, a pattern of thinking that it is about me and it's about here I failed and there I failed. We need to be conscious and aware of our failures. We need to go back to, to God through Christ Jesus for forgiveness. But we cannot be summing things up as it were. We cannot be having a two-column approach. Here's the bad I did. Here's the good I did. Well, I hope, they, I hope this now balances out that. That is living according to the law. Living according to Christ's righteousness is coming to him as a child, knowing that whole column, the good column, the bad column, has been taken away in Christ, and we are now clothed in his righteousness. He demonstrates that through that quote in Moses, the man that doeth these, those things shall live by them. But then he contrasts. Here's the contrast. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. And actually now he's quoting, but not just quoting, he's kind of, he's adding some parentheses. He's quoting from the Old Testament again, but amplifying that passage because he knows Christ now and he knows the whole purpose of Christ. The righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. This is a quote from, again, the Old Testament, the giving of the law. And, and, and Moses, and the intention there was, Moses was demonstrating to them, the word that I'm giving you now, it is right here for you. It's easy to understand. It is clear for you. It's been delivered. It's not a matter of some, and, and you know human nature, the way it goes, some Kabbalistic understanding. We have to understand the numerical, whatever, some intricacies of, of, of deeper understanding. It's very clear. Do it. Live in it. Teach your children it. Uh, teach them to observe day by day. He's saying it's, it's right here beside you. It's in your, it's in your mouth and it's, it's in your hand. In thy mouth and in thy heart. But Paul takes that same passage, and now through Christ Jesus, he says, it's even closer now. The, the word that God has delivered through Christ Jesus that our children downstairs are learning in simple songs, uh, simple lessons that a child can understand, that word is very close to you. And my friend outside of Christ, who has grown up hearing this word, <laughs> That's the realization you need to come to. It's very simple. That's the realization I came to after 22 years 
I don't know how, I think I was 23 when I was baptized. A long time, and I, I, along with Christ, I, I marvel at my unbelief. And I, and I marvel, my friend, at your unbelief, too. That it is very simple. And we, we try to complicate this and try to make, a, a, um, in some sense, a, a personal odyssey out of this, some big story. It, it, in the end, it is a story. It is a journey. Let's not diminish that. But it's a journey of you coming to that point of belief, of just accepting the truth in, in the gospel, of what God has said. You need to believe Jesus Christ. You need to confess him with your mouth. Don't get fooled into anything else and, and, and diverted into some sort of... Um, I got to struggle up this mountain. And when I get to this mountain, I did. I struggled. I struggled with sin. I struggled with things that I could not overcome. But I was only able to overcome them once I simply accepted this truth, this faith, that Jesus justifies me by his death and resurrection. It's not anything I can do. And... Anything other than that uh, will not bring the fruit that God is looking for in your life. That's really what it comes down to. That truth, this truth of, of this is the simplicity of salvation does not put aside anything else, any, any other aspect of Jesus' teaching, of the, of the, of the gravity in this, and the seriousness of following him, of, following him of, of completely giving your life. This is all in there. Believing with your heart and in your heart is totally embracing the message of the cross is totally giving up yourself i'm not going to retain and believe on anything of myself any power that i have i know i don't have that ability um it's 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 it embraces the truth about i have to put everything my family everything else aside i need to believe and hang on to only this truth that that christ came into the world to save sinners of whom i am the chief this sim simple message uh, which my friend outside of Christ, I think you are missing. I think you are um, being distracted from. Is one that you can only accept through humility, through humbling yourself. The pride that blinds you to that truth, it's very insidious. That pride, um, you may think you're being humble. You may think that, oh, well, I, I, I've reached a certain level here and now I'm in a state where... And still, nothing seems to be happening. God is not producing the fruit that, that, that I know he requires in my life. There's still pride there. There's still a reliance on yourself. There is not a, uh, a believing only in Jesus and, and, and uh, uh, putting everything upon him. The other reason I was drawn to this passage is the truth about confession. Something we maybe don't think about much that it is not simply enough, just, just enough to believe in your heart. There has to be confession. It has to come out of your mouth. It has to be proclaimed. You have to take a stand. You have to take a stand publicly. You have to take a stand in every place in your life. That's what confession is. And that was a truth that I uh, had to come to, too, in my own conversion experience. You know, I, I came to a certain, uh, a certain belief and a certain understanding. Yes, I think I understand. Yeah, this is the way of salvation. It's very simple. God just requires me to believe. But I, did, I made the mistake and I made the, the sin of not confessing that. Once that light had been shown in my heart, once that truth had been revealed to me, yeah, I, I told a few people. I think I told my brother. 
but I didn't take that next step of faith of confessing that. And maybe it was some thinking in my, in my mind that, you know, I, I need to get a few more things in order, in order to, you know, really to kind of make this public in the sense of going to that next step, talking to other people and whatever it was. And whatever that was, the mistake I made in, in not making that confession as, as God requires was that the, the devil was able to convince me that oh, this, this is just a spiritual high. This is just a, you know, a summer of spiritual love, as it were. And, you know, you're going to come back to the hard realities of school and whatever else it is, and um, you're not there yet. You haven't attained. You haven't done enough. And that's, that's the law speaking. That's not faith. That's not the righteousness which is by faith. And I did. I experienced that, and I went through a, a, a miserable miserable experience that following I don't know how many months it was until a dear brother took me for a walk around the block in in Weston Road and I said just what what's going on where are you at and you know I really had to say you know this is where I came to and, and I seem to be stuck and until I humbled myself again and and and, and professed that salvation that my righteousness before God is just this Nothing happened in my life. And when I was able to do that through faith, God does the work. He always does the work. It's not a matter of, well, I just have to buckle down hard enough. You'll never do it. It'll never be enough. You'll never be able to do it consistently enough to attain God's righteousness. You need to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. God does the work. What is this belief? What is this confession? It's based on facts. Shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. It is based on facts, facts of the resurrection, but it's not just facts. You know, the, the, the scripture says the devils believe and tremble. It's not that kind of belief. I just, I acknowledge it. Yeah, I believe the Bible's true. I believe there was a man, Jesus Christ, he died. And I could maybe even believe mentally, I could mentally assent to his resurrection. It's not just facts. It is trust. We don't believe only in Jesus. We believe on Jesus. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him. And maybe that's a subtle difference. Maybe I'm reading too much into it here. But we don't only just believe in him. We believe on him. We, our lives, our decisions, everything is based on my belief on him. Now, it's building on that. The decisions I make about what is right and wrong to do, um, how, how uh, whatever situation that comes up spontaneously, you know, a conversation goes a certain direction, my belief on the Lord Jesus Christ is going to now inform. It's going to direct how, what I say, what I respond to. It's going to reflect the belief that's in my heart. It's, it's, uh, it's foundational, this belief. It's not some one-time kind of experience. Yeah, I, 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 I received the Lord in my heart back in so on and so forth, and it really didn't, didn't do anything. It didn't make a difference. No, this is a foundational thing. This is a, a, a something on which, you know, you know, you don't add on to a foundation of a house in the sense of if you want to build a house, you've got to build a foundation first. So everything's got to be leveled. Everything's got to be cleared. Then the foundation's got to be laid. This belief in Jesus Christ, and then things can be built on it. So this, this believing in is, is a matter of trust, of, of total dependence, um, and 
maybe this is really obvious and, and, and basic and I'm repeating myself here, but that trust is to trust him for your salvation, first and foremost. My friend outside of Christ, I'll ask you again, are you trusting something else for your salvation? Are you trusting yourself to attain to a certain level and, and depending and waiting for yourself just to get good enough? That's not belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not trusting him only completely. And it's a whole, a wholehearted thing. Believe in thine heart. You know, we use the term the heart. I feel it in my heart sometimes, and we understand that, but really, respectfully, that's more emotional talk in, in some sense in, than this. Believe in thine heart. Not just, I had a feeling, and yes, this is, emotions are good, and they inform, and they are a fruit of our faith, I think. And, and if they're missing, as someone has said, it's, it's, there's indicative, maybe there's something wrong. Um, but it is much more than that. And the heart of you is much more than your emotions because it's really what drives you, you know? What's in your heart, that determines a lot of times, you know, even if you're not honest with yourself, look two, three years down the, the road and you say, well, that was really what was in that person's heart. That's really what they wanted all along. Um, so in that sense, the heart is the core of your being. It's, it's that seat of your, of your emotions, of your thoughts, of your, of, of your understanding. And belief needs to spring from there. All your thoughts, all your, um, your plans, anytime you make plans, anytime I make plans that really don't have the faith in Jesus Christ as the root of them, aren't springing from that, that's not a, a, a faith-based decision. And this thing about belief is a continuing thing. It's not, as we said, it's not a one-time sort of transactional checkbox mark. It is a, a continual believing. You know, in the same sense, confession is that too. It's a continual confession. And, and my brother and my sister, maybe we are falling down in that aspect too. That, well, I confessed the Lord Jesus once. I was baptized. I identified. Do you do that on an ongoing basis? Do I do that on an ongoing basis where I'm not ashamed or afraid to confess the Lord Jesus I think many times it's, it's a back-of-the-mind sort of thing. Let's just let it slip. Um, you're going to be quiet. But that's not the faith that is in Christ Jesus, and that's not evidence of a, of a life that is uh, rooted in Jesus. You know, the other thing, it's not stated here specifically, but really I think it's tied up in this. This confessing of the Lord Jesus, you cannot put aside what the Bible says is involved in that, and that is baptism, straight up. That's what God requires, baptism. Um, it's been noted that the New Testament has very few ordinances, or you know, compared to the Old Testament, you had the, all these, this way that you approach, uh, only certain people can approach uh, the, the tabernacle, only certain times of the year, you've got to do certain things beforehand, a whole lot of ordinances carnal ordinances, physical things. But the New Testament really only has a few physical things that we are required to do. Baptism is one of them. And I think rightly so, we as a, as a fellowship, we require that there is evidence of faith working in your life before we baptize you. Other churches don't do that. And um, just, it'll just be a, a confession. I want to be baptized. That's sufficient. I, I think that does a disservice because... Really, this believing, as we just said, is a, is a heart-based thing. 
And you need to see that it is a heart-based thing by what comes out in your life, by the fruit that's produced by it. And so rightly, I think we, we wait to see fruit. Not only what you say from your mouth, your experience, but what is evidenced in your life. That can't be counterfeited. And people may, may put up a good front, and you know, there is history. Those in the past that have, you know, all along, they weren't really changed, but they just said the right things and, 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 and were baptized. That doesn't, um, we don't deny that can happen, but this method, which we believe is based on, on the Bible and uh, the examples we've been given, is the best thing for you as a convert. To establish that work in your heart, in your life, to say, yes, I have believed from my heart, this is what I confess, and I want to fully and completely confess it by being baptized, publicly demonstrating that. And anything that hinders you from that, anything that hinders you from that simple obedience to the word of God, it's not from him. Pure and simple. I think we can deceive ourselves a lot in terms of, well, I need this and I need that. You need your life founded on the word of God. He does the work. He makes the change. He produces this fruit as you submit to him. And it does always continually involve your will. Don't let anyone ever deceive you otherwise. Your will is, is, is part of this. What's the fruit of all of this? Of, of believing and confessing. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And the man who wrote this, the things that he went through, he was mocked, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was laughed at, he was, uh, you know, whatever it was, it was thrown at him, and he was not ashamed of the gospel. It didn't hold him back, and he wanted to preach it more and more. And so when I read this scripture here, yes, not only will good things happen to us, we will have an end result in which we will not be ashamed, but it's going to produce faith and, and, and belief and trust in God. Confession of him is going to produce in our in our hearts a, uh, a boldness, a, a, a not being ashamed. There's nothing to be ashamed of because I believe in Jesus, because I am saved according to his word, I can profess that boldly and I will not be ashamed. And in that last day, when the real accounting, the final accounting happens, there will be plenty of people that will be ashamed because they didn't trust in Jesus. They will be that, you know, we all hate embarrassment. We all hate that public exposure when everyone in the room would look to you and see, well, what's going on with that person? That's, that's mortifying, we say. But that, that moment of final judgment will be the ultimate for those that haven't trusted in Jesus. And conversely, those that have, that will be the, the glorious moment of, of vindication. Not in the sense of, well, you know, we did it all ourselves, but in the sense of, of being with him being identified with him, not being ashamed. And this is a, a scandalous thing, this simple message of the gospel. Don't let, um, in your mind, don't let Satan cloud your understanding of this message. Though we preach a complete conversion and we preach a uh, fruits required for repentance, a changed life in order to be baptized, don't let those truths cloud this 
understanding that salvation is very simple. It is just believing and confessing. It's scandalous. Our, our human minds would think we got to do something else. There has to be something else. There has to be something that we add to this, you know? But that is the only way and God's wisdom and his perfection that salvation could be open to everyone. And it is open to absolutely everyone. That's the other scandalous thing. It's everyone. Everyone. There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. You need to call upon him. Call upon him in faith. Confess him. And experience. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Some have taken this passage, they've um, run with it as it were to kind of, well, let's, let's, let's give you a, uh, um, I don't even know what the term is, but just we, we want to package this in a way so that you can, you can just accept it and then that's fine and now you're saved and that's good and I can add you to my, my list of, 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 of who I've converted at this rally or whatever. Some have taken that scripture and run with it. And none of this negates any of, of, of all the other teachings of Jesus and all the other things that are written here about community of believers and, and, and the, all the truths that are in Scripture. But this is at the root. I think this is, the Apostle Paul had to come back to that after all of the explanation in Romans uh, 1 through, through 8 and then in 9 as he talks about Israel. And he had to come back and underline that simplicity of the gospel. And my friend outside of Christ, that's my burden for you this morning hour. You know, for years of of, of its seem, seeming inaction, and I know I, that I don't see your hearts, I don't see all of what the Lord is doing and where he has brought you, so I, don't take this as a judgmental statement, but by the same token, please know that my heart is burdened for you for years of, of, of inaction, of, of, of fruit not coming out. I'm not. None of us are desiring or preaching that, that there's a it's enough for you to physically do something. Just, just get baptized and then everything will be fine. That's not it at all. We are uh, desiring and preaching the simple gospel that will change your heart, that will change you completely, that will change every aspect of your life. That's what we are preaching. That's what we are hanging our whole lives on, as it were. And we desire you to do the same, to hang your whole life on that simple truth of the gospel that will change your life. It changed mine. It changed all of the others who identify with Jesus Christ. And uh, it can change yours, too. I don't have too much else to say in closing. Just to underline that, um, you know, when you hear a, a Sunday sermon, when you hear the, the word preached, it's not just a mental exercise. You know, I, I remember very well coming to 274 Weston Road, Sunday after Sunday for years, quiet Sunday, maybe a grayish sort of Sunday as this, hearing the sermon and saying, yeah, that's all true. That's what I like. It's, it's what it's, and just going home and knowing nothing had changed in my life. So hearing a sermon is not simply some mental exercise, some sort of, or emotional exercise or whatever it is, it's a call. The preaching of the gospel, the reading of God's word, it's a call to you. 
And when I call my child, my son, I don't want him just to sit there and think, wow, I, dad loves me. That was nice. I had a nice, he called me. I want him to respond. I want him to come. Because I have plans for him. I have things for him to do. I want him to come and do something. And I'm not going to call him and explain the whole, here's what I want you to do, and now you come. I'm just calling him to come, and then I'm going to show him what I want him to do. In the same way, this morning hour, you need to respond to what you've heard, and God will show you what he wants you to do. My prayer is that you would respond. May the Lord bless his word.